I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another episode of the Rise Together podcast. I am excited. I have sitting in front of me one of my longest tenured humans in my life, uh, one of my oldest and bestest cousins. Mr. Michael Riley is here with us today. Michael is a veteran. And here we are on Veterans Day, going to have a conversation that hopefully gives just a little bit of insight into what it's like to have served, not just what it's like to make the decision to serve or be in action or deployed in specific terms, but also what it means to have the after effects of service as a thing that you carry with you long after your service is done. So without further ado, welcome to another episode of the Rise Together podcast. What would the world look like if we all pushed ourselves to have candid conversations with people who didn't look like us, think like us, or live like us? I'm Dave Hollis, and I'm on a mission to learn more about this world by meeting more of the people who live here. You may not always agree with everything you hear, but I guarantee you'll come away more informed on topics you might never have thought to seek out before. This isn't just a podcast, it's a community. And when we raise each other up, we all rise, together. All right, Mike, it is so good to see you. I haven't seen you in way too long. Yes, sir. Uh, My my mother's sister's oldest son. Uh, you have been in my life more time than almost any other person that I am in <laughs> life with. It's so good to see you, man. You yeah. are sporting the beard of beards right now. <laughs> Appreciate that. <laughs> welcome, welcome to the podcast. Uh, just uh, by way of uh, quick introduction to those who are uh, listening here, give us just the Cliff Notes version of who you are, where you serve, what your deployments were, and uh, anything else you think is relevant for us to know about you before I start asking a bunch of questions about this service, what Veterans Day means to you as a veteran, and what your experience as someone who has served is something that maybe we can learn from as people who are listening but didn't ourselves serve in real time. Yeah, so like Dave said, my name is Mike, and um, I was in the Army for about nine years, um, kind of all over the world, really. It was really awesome. I got to travel on the government's dime. Can't really complain about that, but uh, spent some time in Germany. I went to Iraq from Germany, went from there to Georgia, spent a lot, a lot of time in Georgia, did another tour in Iraq out of Georgia, and then was fortunate to actually come to Colorado. Um, I was stationed at Fort Carson for a while, 
and actually did two tours to Afghanistan from there. So four total tours to the Middle East, spent over half of my career overseas, you know, and it was good. Like when I look back at it, it was good. You know, it really was. There's obviously a lot of ups and downs as part of being in the military. You know, war isn't fun. You know, I'm not going to, there's no one's going to sugarcoat that for you, you know, but you know, you learn, you know, it makes you grow. It, it molds you into the person that you are. Military, you know, made me grow up, which was good for me. I needed it, you know. Uh, living in mom and dad's basement at 19, 20 years old isn't where it's at. Unfortunately, you know, it's just seems cool, but it's not that cool. So the army was good for me. You know, it was great. I met a lot of wonderful people, got to see a lot of things I never would have experienced in my life. You know, and it's and it's like I said, it was a rewarding experience. Um, and I still deal with stuff now, obviously, you know, but uh when I look back at it, I, I don't regret it at all. There's nothing about it that I regret. I've learned to turn negatives into positives, which is hard. You know, it's hard to do. I went through a lot of down times, you know, and I'm fortunate to be at a spot in my life now where um, I can focus on on the positives that I have going on around me. There's a reason I'm alive today. And I have a lot to be grateful for, which makes things pretty wonderful, to be honest with you. That's amazing. And I know yourself to also be the dad to two amazing human beings. Uh, you, 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 are, you are a good man, Michael, and I've always just admired so much about you. But honestly, your service is among the things I admire the most. I will confess I am not someone who has felt a draw to service. I have just had such a wild respect for anyone who has felt the call to serve. And I'm curious what it was, like what was the decision process like to join the Army back when you made that decision, you know, years and years ago? Yeah, you know, at the time I'd gone to college, I, I had a good scholarship. But I, I wasn't ready for college. You know, I was able to kind of get decent grades in high school and not have to work hard. Unfortunately, you can't do that in college. You have to work for your grades. And I just, honestly, I wasn't mature enough to handle that, you know, at that age. I went to school two blocks from where I grew up. I kept all my same friends and everything. So I had so much outside influence that made me not want to do school. And colleges don't keep you around if you don't get grades. It's just how it is. So, um, you know, I dropped out of college and was working. And finally, I was just like, I need to do something. Like, I'm not doing anything with my life. I'm stuck. I had a, my actually was my high school soccer coach, um, was in the army and we were talking one day. He was always kind of been a mentor of mine, um, you know, back, back then. And, and we were talking about it. He said, have you thought about joining the army? And I was like, no, I haven't. And so he, he hooked me up with a recruiter and I went and started talking and I looked at every branch. Honestly, the army just kind of stuck for me with kind of what I wanted to do. And so I was like, okay, it's time to grow up. It's time to do something with my life. And that's ultimately what I chose to do. So you join. How old, how old were you when you enlisted? I was 20 years old. Wow. Yeah. So at 20 years old, you go to basic. And where was basic training? I was at Fort Sill, Oklahoma. Wow. Yeah. And your first of four tours ends up being Iraq. Yep. But you're first stationed in Germany before you head to Iraq. Yes. Yeah. That was my first permanent duty station. Um, I was actually in Wiesbaden, in Germany. It's, uh, I don't know, maybe an hour drive, if that, from Frankfurt. Nice little town, small base. Um, but yeah, that's where I was at. It was awesome. So when you're in Frankfurt, I'm trying to put myself in the shoes of someone who is at a, you know, off the U.S. base. Yep. They've been, you've been stationed there. And then you get the call into active duty or get the call into being now deployed into an active military zone. Yep. What is, what is, what was the feeling? Were, were you excited? Were you scared? Was it scary and exciting? Like what were, what were the emotions you were going through when you got that, uh, Hey, heads up, uh, no longer is it Germany. We're going to the middle East. Yeah. You know, I think it's a little bit of both, you know, you're young enough that that kind of fear isn't there necessarily. You're just maybe not thinking as much, 
you know, but at the same time, it's, it's the whole unit's going, you know, so you're with people that you've been working with every day. So it's not like you go alone, obviously. So you have your brothers and sisters next to you, which is awesome. But I mean, there's definitely so much unknown. There's, you don't know what to expect. You hear about it, you know, but hearing about it doesn't prepare you for it. You know, fortunately, they take you to Kuwait. You kind of get used to the hot weather pretty quickly. It's warm and sandy. And they send you to Iraq. And it's, you know, it, it's, you know, I don't know. I think at the time, it was probably a little bit of fear, a little bit of the unknown. But at the same time, you know that that's what's going to happen. When you join the military, they tell you, you're probably going to deploy. We are at war right now. You kind of have already kind of mentally prepared yourself for it. So you get to Iraq. You're acclimated to the weather. There is, in fact, this sand that you have been uh, described as uh, being part and parcel with what's going to happen. What is it, what's a regular day like in that first deployment while you are in an active war zone yep. as a 21-year-old, 20, 21-year-old human living for the first time in a deployment? Yeah, it, you know, it's established. It was a lot more established than I think I'd expected. You know, I was imagining I'm going to be living in a tent with, you know, a, a cement barrier around me, and that was what I was going to do. You know, but you live in, it's almost like little trailers. You live in little trailers, you have a, just a roommate. And you go to work just kind of like you did before. Obviously, it's it's more controlled. You know, you're carrying you know a, a weapon with you, things like that, which is different, obviously. You know, and, and you just kind of learn to prepare. There's, you know, if there's an incoming alarm because there's some sort of indirect fire, like you learn to live pretty quick with that. And you just, after a while, it's as bad as it sounds, but it almost comes, becomes the new normal. Um, yeah. You know, you're used to helicopters flying in and going to the hospital. Like you're just used to that kind of stuff. You know, that's what it was. We were there for a year that time. That's 12, just under 12 months. But like I said, it's, it's just, it's everyday life. It's just kind of what you get used to. It's the new norm. You adjust pretty quickly, to be honest with you. Yeah. In that first year, do you find that there are things that you can see changing in who you now know yourself to be because of the, the year's worth of time, because of the pressure, because of the acclimating to a new normal that includes embracing fear and adventure and anything else? Or is it too early to see real change that's happening? Yeah. You know, I think at the time it, it was early. I was still young. You know, I, for, I was fortunate to have good leaders around me. They kind of looked out for me and good friends. You know, I don't, I don't think that the effects of what was going on, I don't think I really noticed it until years later when I kind of looked back and I was like, wow, like my brain is just wired differently now. It took me a long time to kind of realize that, I think. I, you know, obviously we, we talk about PTSD and things like that. You know, I'd say I probably, I had it after I got home and just didn't realize it, you know, whether I was not sleeping well or whatever it was. Right. You know, but I, it took me, you know, seven, eight years actually accept the fact that that was not a normal thing, or I guess it was a normal thing, right. For people in the military, for a lot of people in the military. And it took me a long time to kind of get to that point where I was like, okay, I'm ready to talk about this and I need to get help or I need to, whatever I needed to do, you know? So I, I think at the time, no, I don't, I wouldn't say that I realized it. I think I was just like, oh, I'm going to work. I get home and I'm like, okay, now I'm home. You know, it's just, yeah. that's just how it was. You know, but I think as the years go on, you kind of get learn to realize and you mature, you know, and you grow and you're like, okay, this isn't normal anymore. I'm changing things I'm doing are probably not what I should be doing. You know, maybe it's time to actually sit down and take a look in the mirror and figure something out. All right. So you're deployed once and then a second time in Iraq. Yep. You find yourself back in the States before you're then deployed again to Afghanistan. Yep. What was the difference in Iraq experience and Afghanistan experience? Um, you know, I, my experience was different just because I saw different things on different deployments, right? I had different jobs every time I deployed, you know, so it was more, I guess, combat related. My last tour to Iraq and first tour to Afghanistan. Um, so I saw more things that I would not have seen in other tours. 
you know, where I was just sitting on base, you know, I was doing things on base and that was what my job was. I was doing things on base that needed to be done. You know, so when you see that combat aspect, it's a lot different. You know, you see the evil of war, you see how bad it really is and how good we really have it here. A lot of people don't understand that. Like things here are tough, you know, it can be tough, right? But when you see, you know, what it looks like in war-torn countries, it's hard. It's very humbling. It makes you really appreciate where you come from and what we really have. As bad as things may be here, I can promise you there's people out there that have it way worse than we do. Talk to me about like seeing things you can't unsee. Like I, I can't, I can't imagine like, you know, it's almost like preparing you to go. Nothing can prepare you for what you're going to walk into, but I'm not sure that anyone who hasn't seen the things that you have seen has an appreciation for the way that when you see those things, you can't unsee them. Yeah. Talk a little bit as a veteran of like what that means, both while you're in the middle of seeing it, but then also the lingering effects of what you've seen not uh, necessarily being readily releasable as things that are a part of you now. Yeah, you know, I think when you see it, it's it's more of, hey, I'm here, this is part of what I'm doing, right? doesn't make it easier by any means, right? But it's just, there's so much training, so much stuff that you do before you deploy and things like that, that it's instincts kick in and it's, you know, I guess sometimes it's fight or flight and you're taught to fight. That's just, that's how it is, right? I mean, they're drilling that in you at basic training even, no matter what your job is. I mean, that's how it is. You know, I think that, you know, they always say the war never leaves you. I think it took me a long time to realize that, you know, I, I always was like, well, war changed me. I, you know, I can handle it. I'm mentally tough. I can handle that, right? But then I realized that I wasn't handling it. It was just, I didn't notice it. It was affecting everyone else around me, you know, whether it was my then wife at the time, or it was my kids, or it was my family or my friends, whatever it was, I let the demons get the best of me and I didn't have the best coping mechanisms. And at the time there was such a stigma, you know, against kind of PTSD and, you know, you have to be tough and that's what it is, right? That you just didn't think to get help, right? You just talk to your buddies and that's how it was. You talk to your buddies and it was like, okay, it's cool. It's normal. But the reality of it is it, is, it isn't normal for everybody, right? Obviously, there's tons of veterans that deal with, with PTSD in any branch, you know, and everyone sees things differently and everyone reacts to things differently, right? Um, and I think it took me a long time to make me realize I wasn't weak. It didn't make me like less of a man or less of a person. It was, it was okay to actually talk about those things. Oh, man, I'm so proud of you. <laughs> like, honestly, like, this is one of your greatest attributes, though, because I've watched you over the years transition into someone who is comfortable with the uncomfortable yeah. like pushing against the stigma and acknowledging that it is okay, that it doesn't make you weak, that it is totally normal, that mental health is as important as physical health, like the, all the things and of like any of the things that could come out of this experience. I mean, there's plenty of things that I'm proud of you and, and the, the experience having created in you, but ultimately the, the way that, life would afford you an opportunity to normalize this thing and be become in some ways. I, I, I've noticed there's pride in the way that you have decided to handle your stuff that isn't in any way about the stigma. It's more about like, yo, I've got to take care of me. I've got to address this. And, um, and in addressing it, it's given other people, I know it, so much permission to feel yep. comfortable addressing it themselves. So man, I'm, I'm so proud of you for that. Appreciate that. Your two tours in Afghanistan, the second one comes to a close. And is that then the end of you as someone who is enlisted in the army? Is there a length of time after deployment that you stay inside? What's, what does the end of your service look like? Yeah. So on my, my last tour in Afghanistan, I was having, I was actually in the same base that I was my first tour in Afghanistan. So 
but I, what I was happening, I was having night terrors. And I did not realize that I was having night terrors. And it was literally, it was just affecting how I worked. It was affecting everything. I was fortunate to have a leader that was like, hey, Mike, we probably need to go get you to talk to somebody. This isn't you. This isn't normal you. You're, you know, you have no motivation at work. Like I just, they kind of just seen it kind of drained out of me. So I fortunately had a leader that was like, hey, let's go talk to somebody. It's cool between us, right? We'll go talk to somebody. So I went and talked to, uh, it, was, it was actually a Canadian doc that worked at the hospital there. And I talked to her for a little bit and maybe talked to her for 10 minutes and just kind of explained to her what was going on. You know, she was like, okay, I'll be right back. And just left the office. And I was like, okay, cool. Like, we're good. Like I talked a little bit, I feel good. Right. And she came back maybe, you know, 10 minutes later and had paperwork for me. And she's like, Hey, hate to tell you this, but you're done. You're going home. You can't be here anymore. You know, this, this place is making it harder for you. Um, the only way for you to get better is for you to go. It was hard. It was a hard pill to swallow that I, that was like my wake up moment. Like, Oh wow, there's really something going on, and I really need to address this. Wow! So they sent me home. I was there for maybe three months. My rest of my guys were there for a year, so I left them early, and I and I went home, and they put me into. I started like group therapy right away on base, which was honestly really really good for me. Sitting with other soldiers that had been through similar things as me, and being able to talk about stuff uh, was awesome. Like it was nice to feel you're not alone. I'm not talking one on one with some person that's never been in combat, right? You're actually talking with other soldiers that have done the same thing, uh, which helped. I think it helped me kind of air some things out. Um, they did cool things like equine therapy, which was obviously being from Montana. It's wonderful for me, right? Yeah. Um, but they did a lot of cool things. And uh, ultimately, the Army decided that my PTSD was severe enough. Um, and other things that I had kind of just wear and tear on my body and things like that. Um, they ultimately decided that I couldn't stay in the Army anymore. So probably a year. It was almost exactly a year. Actually, after I got back from Afghanistan, I was medically retired from the army and, and that's just how it was. So 2013, I got medically retired and I uh, moved back to Montana. Yeah. So I've had a handful of conversations with people who served the phenomenon of brotherhood and sisterhood and, and, and troop or pack. I mean, like I am the worst. I don't even know the vernacular, but you were a part of something that was obviously greater than yourself surrounded at all times by these brothers and sisters who were you in harm's way in battle? Were you having a hard day in something with the medical piece or the, the mental piece of, uh, you know, just being at war, they were going to be there. Yep. And now you transition from being active duty to being a civilian and they're as much as they're there in being able to reach out to someone in a text string, they're not there in the barracks. They're not there in the house. So talk to me a little bit about that transition into civilianship and how you transition in good ways and hard ways, you know, in any ways, because I, I imagine it's not an easy thing. Yeah, it was hard. I, I, I think in my head, it was going to be way easier than I thought it was going to be. I got out and, and started school. I, I, you know, I used my GI Bill and I went back to school, you know, and I think that was a good transition for me because I wasn't like immediately in the workforce. I was able to go to school and just do that. That was like my new full-time job. So I was able to just focus on that. But at the same time, I, I, my crutch was pushing anything and everything away from me that reminded me of the military. Um, whether that was my, you know, my then spouse at the time, whether that was military friends, whatever it was, I shut everybody out. I, I decided that I was going to deal with everything on my own and that's how it was going to be. I started trying to go to the VA back home, you know, just to try to like talk to somebody there. And it was great. I I'd kind of built a relationship with a, with a counselor there and, and it was good. And then it got to the point that, that counselor wasn't there anymore. It was with a new person. And I was starting over from scratch every time, which made oh. it harder for me. 
Uh, and I just got to the point that I said, nope, I'm not doing this anymore. This is, I'm really starting over from scratch every single time. So I just stopped going, which at the time for me, I was like, this is my best choice. This is what I need to do, right? But ultimately, it probably was the worst thing I did. You know, and I, I turned to other things, you know, I used alcohol to cope or I used, um, you know, bad relationships or whatever it was. I used everything I could to cope that didn't involve dealing with it myself. I used everything else I could around me to try to make myself happy when deep down I was miserable. And it took probably three or four years for me to really realize, hey, we got to fix something, right? You know, I fortunately graduated from college and, and got a degree, which is cool. And I started working, but I realized that even at work, I had a hard time dealing with people that weren't military. I felt entitled or I felt like I was, because I was in the military, I was owed something. Um, that's not life. That's not how it is, right? Um, you still have to work for things, you know, and I, I was fortunate to have a boss there that kind of pulled me aside. I was like, look, you have all the potential in the world, but you have to earn. You still have to earn what you, you know, what you got. And that was kind of a wake up call. He was just kind of like, hey, I see what's going on. Let's fix it. And I did, you know, and I was fortunate to promote it and do things like that, that, that turned things around. Right. You know, and it's, and now I am where I am today. Like I, I feel significantly healthier, significantly happier. Um, there's still up and downs, ups and downs. There's still demons, right. But you just learn to cope with them better and find grounding exercises that work for you. Um, and that's kind of where I'm at now. I feel like I'm probably at one of the best places in my life I've ever been. That's amazing. I'm so proud of you, Mike. And guess what? Like, this journey of life, it is nonlinear, and you have experienced the nonlinear nature of it. <laughs> yes. Lots of ups and downs, but there is joy in your eyes, man. I'm good and happy to see it. My goodness gracious, it's such a good thing. So here we are. It's recording this on Wednesday. It's coming out tomorrow for Veterans Day. And I'm curious what you, as a veteran, think about Veterans Day, and if there is something that for any of the non-veteran listeners who are listening, that you would hope that they might keep in mind as we're quote unquote celebrating this day, like what is what is celebrating Veterans Day mean and how might someone who hasn't served celebrate in a way that honors the sacrifice and the work that you ultimately and any of your brethren, sisters have put into serving our country? Yeah, I, that's a tough question. I, you know, it really is. You know, I, I think it's different for me just because I don't, I don't, I mean, I guess I don't feel like I need special recognition for during the military, right? I think a lot of my people that I serve feel the same way, right? We we signed up, that's what we chose to do, and we did a job, but that's what it was. You know, you have a job, I have a job. That's just kind of how it was, and that's how I viewed a lot. But, you know, I think for me, veterans, it, it's awesome. Like, it's great that people want to recognize that, you know, and, it, and I, I think there's nothing wrong with thanking somebody. I really don't. I think that's awesome. I think it's great that people show that support. But I, I mean, I think for me, Memorial Day is kind of the day that really hits home for me just because I don't really remember people that really made that ultimate sacrifice. But at the same time, you know, even being a veteran, she's making a sacrifice, right? You're sacrificing time and family and, you know, your body and your, your, your mental capacity and things like that. And I think that if people take that into account that, you know, yes, a simple thank you, it feels really good. It really, really does. I'd be lying if I said it didn't, you know, but at the same time, I think that, you know, helping with, there's things that we can do to help, you know, like whether it's. Um, you know, helping veterans and, you know, homeless veterans, things like that. I think that's a way to say thank you. You know, and I know that sounds super trivial and, and that's how it is. And I don't want to speak for everybody. I'm not going to speak for every veteran, right? But, you know, I, I think that, you know, I think that just serving itself is pretty awesome. And I think that I don't, I don't need one day to think the people that I served with, you know, Memorial Day, I remember all those people every day, you know, they stick with you. That's how it is. But, you know, as a country, I think it's great to have a day that we really, truly honor and, and remember everybody. Yeah, I, I have been uh, a longtime supporter of the Semper Fi Fund. Yep. It's a great organization. If you, as a listener, are wondering 
How might you honor the people who have chosen as a part of their calling in life to serve this country and joining a service? Uh, Semperfy has been amazing in supplementing some of the work that the VA does, yep. some of the work the VA frankly doesn't do as well as people might hope that it might in certain instances. But is there an organization, Mike, that you've also uh, maybe spent time with or would recommend to anyone who's listening that helps support veterans or the needs of veterans? I like Mission 22. They, they're a veteran organization that truly does things to help, to help. You know, it's not just like this, like Semperfy, like you were just talking about. They truly do their best to help veterans and service members. Um, Mission 22, it's, you know, they, always, they talk about 22 veterans a day, you know, that commit suicide. That's a near and dear to my heart. I've lost friends because of that, you know. So I, I really appreciate their mission. And they truly do what they can to put their money towards people getting help. And people, you know, if they are having those thoughts and those ideations, that they're, they're getting help with that. Um, and that's where their money goes. It's not, you know, patting the pockets of a CEO. It's truly helping the people that need the help, you know. So they're, they're probably the ones that are kind of near and dear to my heart. Uh, I love it. All right, we're going to put a link to each of those organizations in the show notes. So if you as a listener are interested in putting your money behind a thank you or something that might practically support veterans, uh, there's going to be links below for both. One thing I do think also is as much as I am certainly interested on a veterans day, wanting to thank a veteran or appreciate the service. I also tend to want to also think about military spouses, the way that like there is a, there it's, it's not just the one who is deployed that is affected in the deployment, but there's also the one who is left to take care of the family or who, as that veteran comes home and brings sometimes that PTSD, brings sometimes the, you know, the things that ultimately happen in a war zone back into the house um, that we have to be considerate of. And I would just encourage anyone who's listening to also be considerate of who you might know in your community that is the spouse of someone who's serving and how you might be able to reach out and just thank them for their service. Yes. Because as much as uh, you know, the person who's deployed is serving, I, I would argue that the, 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 the person who is married to and helming the fort, um, they're serving too. And yes. there's something to be honored in that as well. I agree. All right, Mike, before we go, any last words of wisdom for these uh, humans who are now new friends of you and uh, cheering on you as an awesome veteran and human being who's now reacclimated himself into civilian life in a beautiful way? You know, I don't think so. It's been great. It's been great talking to you. I really appreciate you kind of, you know, bringing to light kind of what it is, right? It's, it's uh, not always pretty, you know, but sometimes the ugly needs to get brought up. And that's, that's life. That's how it is. So I appreciate you doing that. I always appreciate what you do. It's awesome to watch. It's, it's fun to see the success you've had. And I'm proud of you, man. I really am. It's been, it's been awesome to watch, man. I, I really am excited to see you at, at Christmas time and celebrate our great, our, our wonderful grandma. Super grandma excited. Lee, 100th birthday coming up people. So Brace awesome. yourselves. I know. No, I can't, I can't wait. Yeah. This is thank you. Thank you for your kind words, Mike. I appreciate it. But honestly, I, this is about you. I am so, so proud of you. So grateful for your service. Thankful that you made a decision to, of anything you could have done with your life, chose to serve our country. One deployment uh, would be enough for any of us, but four certainly is something that for the rest of time, we will have as a part of our um, things to be grateful for. People like you who have heeded that call when the call was made. And so um, I appreciate you. I appreciate the service, but I also, I think of any of the things that we talked about today too. I just appreciate too that you, have become comfortable enough to demystify some of the things inside of mental health 
that have afforded you an opportunity to have the kind of breakthrough and the kind of help that is necessary for people who have been through the kind of things that ultimately come in more. And so uh, thank you for doing your part to destigmatize mental health and getting the resources and having honest conversations about this kind of stuff. I promise you, Mike, beyond even just the people that might hear this today, the people in your circle in your life who have felt more normal or have more permission for their ability to now reach out and have help, um, you have saved lives here as much as you have saved lives in service there. And so I just, I'm grateful for you and appreciate you, man. I'm proud of you, brother. Thanks, man. Appreciate that. All right, ladies and gentlemen, if you took anything away from this episode and how could you have not, I hope that you will screenshot this and share it on your socials. Encourage people to give a listen to a real life veteran, real life hero, my cousin, Mr. Mike O'Reilly, who in his service is someone that we celebrate today on this Veterans Day. And if you feel called and are interested in directing any of your financial resources to organizations that are doing their part to show up well, for veterans and the kind of needs that they have and coming back, reacclimating into civilian life after service. There are two amazing organizations that we have put in the show notes today. I hope you'll consider looking into and donating to both. Between now and next week, I look forward to seeing you on the next episode of the Rise Together podcast. Michael O'Reilly, thank you, sir, for your service. We appreciate you. Thanks, Dave. We'll appreciate you. Next week, Rise Together is hosted by me, Dave Hollis. This show is edited by Andrew Weller, with production support by Sterling Coates. Cameron Berkman is our executive producer. Rise Together is a product of The Hollis Company.